One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore aficionados from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my wonderful co-host and who I consider family, Matt Rossi. How you doing today, brother? I am, I am the Sancho Panza to his, his Don Quixote. I'm okay I, with that. I, that means we're I, fighting windmills. Yeah, but I'm telling you not to. <laughs> no, man. No. It's a windmill. Oh, God. They're going to come out. They're going to be so mad. The grain's not going to have been built properly. Oh, geez. And today's fun fact, Man of La Mancha is one of my favorite musicals of all time. So we've got plenty of uh, questions from our listeners today, and I want to thank everybody for, for sending them our way. Uh, again, if you have any questions for the podcast, you can go ahead and send them to podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Specify which one it is for, or be sure to join us on Discord, where we have our patron in queue chat, where you can send us your questions, which our first handful of them are actually pulled straight from there. Without further ado, this first one comes from Tetsemi. Question for the Lore Watch podcast. If you visit Orgrimmar, take a look at the number of fires, brogers, uh, and other things on fire that used wood, would the hu uh, huge amount of wood from the Night Elf Forest be reduced significantly if they found another source of energy slash fuel to replace all of these things? W or is it more a creature comfort? Fire good, everything else bad. What do you think, Matt? Well, let's actually be clear here. The wood coming from Ashendale and so forth wasn't for burning. It was for building. It was for building. Because you can build, you can burn any old scrub wood. You don't have to have quality wood for burning. In fact, you often don't want to have quality wood for burning. You just get any old piece of, you know, driftwood or rotting logs or, you know, it really doesn't well, not matter. Only, not only that, but also oil, which we know that the goblins have been farming yeah. for, for ages at this point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't think that not burning things would would be the solution to the problem with the night elves. Uh, I think quite frankly, the problem of the night elves is always going to be a much more, you know, we need certain resources to live. We need food. We need shelter. We need housing and a fundamental difference in how to accomplish those aims. Night elves don't live the same way the horde do. They, they live in a different 
sort of balance with the na the natural world. Um, so, no, I don't think it would really make that much of a difference, uh, especially now that we're at the place we're at. Uh, the dispute wasn't over burning. Spirit intelligence <laughs> wasn't like a, a wasn't a protest of the lack of firewood. It was something else. So yeah, I, I'm not seeing it really mattering. Yeah, this is another thing that I've had a couple discussions with folks about too. Uh, and some of the arguments were, well, you know, with the whole building aspect, just going back to before everything that happened in Battle for Azeroth, but just the idea of having all this lumber necessary for building structures and, and settlements and, and things like that. They were like, well, just use stone. You still have to transport stone from one area to another. And I don't know if you've ever tried this, but building carts and wheelbarrows out of stone isn't exactly, you know, good uh, no i mean even even if you do the most primitive stone moving possible that was with giant wood rollers yeah and like i, I believe mythbusters myth eh, i can't even talk today mythbusters even did an episode of like various types of wheels and they tried stone wheels and things like that and while they do function the amount of effort and energy that you have to put into it in order to get them to work properly uh or with any sort of speed is just god awful it is easier to shape wood than it is stone. Yeah. Uh, and metal is certainly an option. Like, you could do it with iron, but... But you still, have to, like, you still have to... You still have to smith it. Problem, yeah, but a lot of the problem there is... Not that they couldn't do that. They could smith it, absolutely. The problem is, quite simply, that Durotar is a resource-poor crap mm -hmm. hole mm -hmm. that nobody wanted to live in in the first place. That's why they settled there, because nobody would bother yeah. them. Um, and... As a result, there simply isn't anything there to use for building, and there's not a lot of arable land for farming. You'll notice that the farms are all small. They have like one or two pig. Um, they're just not set up to support Durotars. Durotar is not set up to support Orgrimmar's population. Like, honestly, if I were trying to come up with a path for peace for these groups... I would let the Horde have Ashara. I would straight up let them have it. Go ahead and farm here. You know, this is the last bite you get. We will give you nothing after this. But you get Ashara, take it. May have farms on it. If you ever try to move outside of, of Ashara for anything, we will kill you immediately. Mm -hmm. We will not negotiate. We will not have discussions. We will burn you to the ground. But you stay here. You can have this land. You can farm on it. Because it's if you look at Ashara... It's clearly fertile. You could make farmland out of it. You could you could clear what trees there are, and you could grow stuff there, and that's fine. And that's the last bite of the apple you get. That would be my proposal if I were trying to broker peace between the two groups. I'm not because I'm like not actually a fictional character, and there's just I don't know how to even put it into words. They're just they, don't think at this point that it's the wood. I don't think it's it's just that anymore. I think it's the overall complete lack of livability of Durotar. And that one's on Thrall. Quite frankly, he should have maybe moved the capital someplace else. But, you know, he didn't. It is what it is. Now we have to live with it. Yep. Uh, and... But I don't think I don't think something as simple as switching, you know, to, to like I don't know, like, I don't know, like, you know, those lights that they put in now, the LED lights. I don't think switching Orgrimmar to LED lights would, would solve the problem. And another another one that I know people have brought up, too, is, you know, why don't they just have the shaman make deals with the elementals, you know, to, to provide their fire and light and things like that. And, yeah, that 
is certainly something they can do to a certain extent, but do you really think the elementals want to live in a lantern? Like they don't. Yeah. Like they'll help you they'll help you light things on fire. They're glad they're happy to do that. You need you need some wind to get that fire roaring. They'll they'll do that for you. You need to move some earth, maybe they'll give you a hand with that too, as long as you make the appropriate, you know, supplications. Yeah, but they don't want to actually sit there and be permanently invested in yeah. making a fire or yeah, it's that's one of the reasons why you get dark shaman doing stuff like, you know, that kind of thing. Because it's not something the elementals aren't interested in being you know, they, they, it's like would if if some some guy came up to you and said, like, they make a deal where I'll give you something and you will live on this treadmill and just constantly run on it so I can have light over here. Your response would be, I don't want to live on a treadmill and generate electricity for you. I don't care what you're offering me. You, you know, if you're offering me a billion dollars, great. But how am I going to spend it if I'm living on a freaking treadmill? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So it wouldn't be a solution to the problem, which is literally they need wood to live and build structures and expand if they want to survive, which, you know, that's what they want to do, but it's also not the root of the problems between the Alliance and the Horde that, that, that wound runs deep. And there are so many different things that, that have been done even in the course of the last 10 years that uh, it's not about trees. It's not about wood. Our next question comes from Flanageddon. Uh, question for Lorewatch. Thanks to allied races such as the Nightborn, the Dark Irons, and the Mechanomes, we now have dungeons that have a peace state. Do you think the Forsaken can move into a cleansed Strathom? This could fortify the Horde position in the Eastern Kingdoms with the Forsaken and the Blood Elves as twin cities. P.S. Anyone who does the Mechanome quest can enter a peaceful Mechagon. This is why uh, Kelsey pops up with, uh, on all of your characters, even if you have done the quest already. That's actually a really cool thing that I totally didn't even realize was uh, in the game. I did not realize that there was a peaceful Mechagon that you could go into. I knew there was the uh, quest line to unfreeze. Um, why can't I think of his name? No, Mecha Mechatork. Um, yep. And like I knew that was it, but I didn't know that it stayed in a permanent peace state. That's actually really cool. Yeah, it's 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 cool. I mean, I think it's basically the capital of the on the gnomes now, since they don't have gnomergon. I think it's you know Mechagon is considered their the the gnomish seat of power, for lack of a better word. But uh, I, I have some thoughts. I mean, I, quite frankly, I don't want the power balance restored just so soon. I don't want the Forsaken to find their foot like immediately and get Strathholm like as a place to live. Um, I think we need to like have some time and have some narrative go down before we make we see where that ends up going. Uh, but I wouldn't I wouldn't be opposed to something happening. But I definitely don't think it should be as simple as oh here here's Stratholme. No, the uh, Forsaken have to figure out their their shit out, for, for lack of a better word. They need to figure out they need to deal with what's happened to them, and they need to deal with like what they've done and what's been done to them. And, you know, with Sylvanas gone, who they even are. And that, that's not something I think just moving into Stratholme is going to really deal with. Yeah. And, and I tend to agree with that. I don't think, I don't think it's a, a solution that they just need a capital city, so to speak. Uh, I think it's more a question of identity. Now, would it be cool to make something out of a cleansed Stratholme? Maybe because Stratholm hasn't been really important in a very, very long time. And that's sort of the angle I want to attack this from is the concept that Stratholm is just a dungeon at this point that people sort of tear through. It hasn't had story significance in a large number of years. 
um, with taking a fallen human city and resettling it as a new forsaken home be kind of uh, an interesting thing? I think that would be something kind of cool. But I'd also have to question, where would Kalia want to be stationed? Because at the end of the day, she's going to wind up leading the Forsaken. We know this. They have been pretty pretty clear in that. Where would she want to go? Now, I don't think it's cleansing out Lordaeron. Uh, there's too many bad memories there. Would she want to live in a city where the Scourge completely destroyed everything? Especially considering what happened with her in her past? Or would she try to build a new city in Kalimdor somewhere? Somewhere uh, not away from the Eastern Kingdom, starting completely clear. See, I mean, if you go with my idea for giving the Horde Ashara, there you go. Give them, give the Forsaken that stupid pleasure palace that, uh, that uh, I can't remember the name of the the, the uh, goblin leader. Chaster Gallowix? Gallowix. Gallowix, yep. Um, yeah. Just take give him Gallowix's pleasure palace and let him rebuild on that. Um, but I, I'm I'm not opposed necessarily to them getting Stratholme back. And my problem is that, narratively speaking, you'd need a really good reason for the Alliance to allow the Horde to restart on the Eastern Kingdoms. If I were the Alliance leadership, I would be like, holy God, no. No, 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 no. You don't get anything back. We're not giving you squat. Yeah, no, the, the, you think we're no, going to give you anything after everything you've done? No. You know, prove it. Prove this. Prove I can trust you to do anything before before we talk about you resettling anything. You, you, you prove to me that there's a reason I should let that happen. And that's that's the thing about the narrative right now. The state it's in, we need to we need to go through Shadowlands. There needs to be some stuff happening in Shadowlands that sets the stage for what happens next, in my opinion. Because as things stand, the detente is extremely tenuous with one with at least one major and no, I'd say two major alliance leaders flat out won't sign it. Yep. And it's not a we're not in a place where the horde can just decide, okay, we're doing X. No. You you do not have the ability to do that. The the piece is extremely fragile. Just deciding, oh, and we're gonna resettle Stratholme. Yeah, no, you're not. And now with Kalia taking over as the Forsaken leader, that's a really interesting complication in that many Alliance leaders would not want to balk her. Yep. They're friendly with her, or they're outright her friends, and they'd want to let her succeed to possibly turn the Forsaken into something less disastrous. But there are other Alliance mem- leaders who would, you know, not going to go along with anything the Horde says, especially the Forsaken. So... I would want to see what they do in Shadowlands. I do think I, there's a we have a question coming up that when I do answer it will show you kind of along the lines I'm thinking. But yeah, for right now, I'm gonna say I would be I would be extremely surprised if they just let the horde like take back uh, Lord Aran or take Stratholme or take anything. Uh, yeah, I'm 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 interested for one thing. I'd love to see what the what the Blood Elves are actually thinking right now. Yeah. I would love to see some quests where, like, you know, we are we are completely surrounded by hostile forces right now. I, I think this also opens up an interesting set of questions, too, for the future of this particular uh, playable race is with other things happening in Orgrimmar. And we talked about this on, on the previous podcasts. Uh, if you're in Orgrimmar, they're trying to root out Sylvanas loyalists and it's basically McCarthyism all over again, right? Like if there's even an inkling 
of somebody being loyal to the Banshee, they're put in chains and they're imprisoned or worse. Uh, we've seen NPCs that were like call out somebody as a loyalist and then, you know, guards come and take them away. I can see that complication with Kalia trying to save everybody leading to a mass exodus of the forsaken from Orgrimmar for the safety of those people that aren't Sylvanas loyalists. And I can see that being a very complicated story arc for her to sort of traverse where, where do we settle? Where do we go? Because at this point, none of the horde cities are really going to be safe for, for them for this perceived notion that forsaken are just Sylvanas loyalists. Even no matter what horde city you go to, there are, agents of essentially every race there now they're no longer separated like they used to be back in vanilla if or, or classic whatever you want to call it if you went to you know thunder bluff it was Torin. that was really it you had maybe one or two other race npcs sitting in some key locations but that was really about it if you went to orgamar like it was very distinctly you know, an, an orc and troll city like that. There wasn't a whole lot of of other races represented there. Same thing with uh, Undercity. Like they were yeah, very distinct and separated. Ironically, this started to change with Sylvanas. It did. Because she because of her the the, the battle for Undercity, the Thrall and then Garage put the orc, the, the, the orc Corcoran in charge of security at Undercity. And then after Garrosh got driven out, and the Corcoran were like, you know, no more really. They were dishonored. Um, then you started seeing, like, bit by bit, every city had people, members of every race in their their security forces, uh, and that's just something I find fascinating because Sylvanas, in a lot of ways, did a lot of things that we don't think about. Like we think about her most recent stuff because it's you know big ticket change, like some really nasty stuff, but. She was always a force for like weird changes within the horde, and that's something that I want to see what happens with her gone. Like what 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 the effect does her absence have on the horde? Yeah, and I and I think the the TLDR for me is that we're going to lead into some very interesting storylines that are spawned off, maybe central around this idea, right? Like this is going to become one of those those tiny little things that people maybe aren't considering now, that winds up blowing up into a large thing. Um, and again, it'll be very interesting to see how this sort of works out uh, in Shadowlands because it is going to have to work out in Shadowlands at some point. Like no matter what happens, this has to be something that's dealt with. I don't think it can be avoided. All right, moving on to our next question. This one comes from Verdigree, our 120 undead mage friend from the Dalaran server. Thank you, Verd, for all of your questions. Uh, I was going through Argus World Quests, and a couple things struck me. The Crow Cruel, a Crow Cool, who died at the Legion's hands, weren't moving on until Velen sent sent them free, or sent me to free them. Excuse me. Uh, and McRae was filled with spirits. Do you think what hurt the Shadowlands was not Argus's titanic essence itself, but all the souls used in the soul engine and a significant amount of the Legion all rushing in at the same time? Yeah, what do you think? We don't know. I, I, it's not so really <laughs> bad because that's the answer we have to keep using. But I, I think that it's been established that it happened during Legion, but it hasn't been established when it happened. 
So we don't know. We, we really, that's one possibility. Uh, another possibility could well be that when we were on the broken shore, at one point, Velen sent us in to stop the Legion and we found the Legion ships and their Legion ships had functioning soul engines in them. And it was the first time we'd seen that the Legion actually used souls as fuel. And that's, it could mean that the Legion itself brought this disaster to Azeroth because they inherently imbalanced the world with their soul engine technology. I mean, I honestly don't know. I couldn't tell you. It's the kind of thing that we'll find out when Blizzard decides to let us find out. You know what I mean? That, But it certainly isn't. What you're saying absolutely makes sense to me. It certainly could be the case. I just don't know. I, I really just have no idea when it happened. So so that's that's where I am on this. Yeah, and unfortunately, like these types of questions are, are going to always be until Shadowlands comes out and we get more information as we move through the expansion and probably not even at the beginning of the expansion, uh, we're going to have to answer with the caveat of we don't actually know, right? Speculation-wise, even if it was broken before this, that flood of souls probably didn't help. Uh, I like to talk about what if the mechanism being broken isn't doesn't mean that it was completely non-functional, but it was limping along, sort of like a rusted wheel bearing or, or something along those lines. Uh, it could be functional to a certain point, uh, but it was inefficient and it was breaking down over time. Something like this could absolutely unbalance it to that final point and cause sort of those stress fractures to completely shatter. So it is within the realm of possibilities that the system or the mechanism had been broken for all these years, possibly due to the legions tinkering with soul engines for all this time. Right. And then this flood of souls, this flood of, of energy that wind up going back in broke the dam, so to speak, and caused the flood to go not where it needed to go or where it was supposed to go but allowed the jailer to sort of wrest control of it because of that massive influx. We we don't know, but this is a so distinct fair. possibility. One of the things that I keep coming to is the idea that maybe it isn't even a case of the, of the jailer seizing control of it. If you have a jug and you jam a hole in it, water is going to rush out. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. You can profit from it if you know where the hole is going to be to catch the water. That doesn't mean you're in control of the flow Water goes where water goes. Oh, and oh, ooh. So it's it may not be that the jailer is in control of this process. He may simply be profiting from it. Yeah, so I had a thought. You, you just sparked a thought. Soul engines, or at least we know from Antorus going through that raid, that souls can be twisted and muted. And, like, look at, look at Agamar, right? Like, that was not mm-hmm. a happy person. That was not a pure soul. That was somebody who had been twisted to complete and total darkness. What if that's what happens with all of the souls that are ground through the soul engines over time in the Legion's control? They're tortured. They're broken down. They're made to become these malevolent, well, un, unredeemable souls. And like you're saying, maybe that's the part that broke it, but... The jailer's just benefiting because where do those souls, those irredeemable souls go? They go to the Maw, who benefits from those souls going to the Maw, the jailer. He might not have rest control from anybody. It just could be like, oh, look at all these evil souls that are coming to my realm. Well, I'm super buff now. I guess this protein shake really, really worked. Like, Well, I, one of the things we know from soul engines is that they don't, 
the the torture process of them is a side product of the fact that they are literally burning souls for for power because fell is souls mm-hmm. um souls are fell is created when light and void annihilate each other absolutely the souls used are used in this process are basically it's like fire can't be burned without wood and when you burn wood with fire the remain what remains is ash because an, an essential part of the wood the carbon is freed that's i think that's a, an analogy for what we got with a soul engine i don't know if they're irredeemable i don't think they're actually morally affected but think of it this way does the mechanism have the sophistication to understand this right because the fell process is that you know using a soul engine on a soul that's not something that was ever supposed to happen yeah the, the, the universe didn't are, account for that yeah so you know effectively these souls might be toxic waste and the jailer is the only one who can actually make use of that toxic waste because it's close enough to what he normally works in that the soul mechanism, the, the mechanism that decides where you're supposed to go shunts them there. I mean, I don't know. It's, it is an interesting idea. Uh, again, I keep, ha- I hate having to keep saying, I don't know, but I don't know. You know, I, they'll, they'll eventually let us know. That's, I think that's a big part of what the next expansion is going to be about. But until we see it, it's all just speculation. I do think it's an interesting idea that the jailer isn't in control of this process any more than anybody else is. That it's just happening. That it once you break the machinery, machines break down. You know, it's 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 not like a car engine. You break a car engine and the car just stops moving. But there are some mechanisms that if you break them, everything falls into chaos. It's like a Rube Goldberg device. Once you once one part of it stops functioning, the whole thing collapses. Look at the uh, Tacoma Narrows Bridge. Oh, yeah. You know, when that thing fell apart, it poured into the water. I mean, so I don't know. It, it is fascinating to think about. And I do think that there's a possibility that this process might be even bigger than the jailer. The jailer might just be the face of it. And that's something to think about, too. Like, if the jailer is just profiting from this, there might be something deeper at the base of it all. Because, I mean, a lot of people have pointed out that at least in the art that we've seen of him, Jailer does look a lot like a Titan. And we've heard about Death Titans before. Yep. So, yeah, that that is something to consider. But, but I, I don't have an answer. I don't have an answer to you. I'm sorry. I wish I could say, wow, yeah, that's absolutely <laughs> it. Or no, absolutely not. That's not it. It could be it until we see the, the expansion. I don't know. But it, it is plausible. It absolutely is plausible. I don't think that Argus's death started this, although it certainly could have. But the idea that suddenly a massive hammer blow that changed every, you know, suddenly changed the status quo of, of life and death that could really have effects on everything. Butterfly I mean, effect Arg- of souls. Th- th- there's a whole thing about Argus, you know, you weren't supposed to be able to kill him in the first place. You know, this wasn't supposed to happen. And if that followed by, you know, all these dead people on Argus who were not going where they were supposed to go because Argus, you know, and Taurus was basically shuffling people back to life over and over again. Yeah, there's there's a lot to this. There's a lot of possibility there. And we will find out soon because before we know it, we will be in the Shadowlands. And I have a sneaking suspicion that they're going to tell us, at least someone will, how the mechanism broke. Our next question. Hi, lore masters. I was thinking of a possible, at least semi, redemption arc for Horde characters who participated in the burning of Teldrassil. 
What if the Horde learns that the souls of all the elves who died there are trapped in the Maw and sends in a force to free them and possibly restore them to life? Do you think this is possible? And if so, what kind of effect would it have on the Horde Alliance relation and relations with the Night Elves in particular? Thanks, Meleth, your friendly neighborhood paladin. I'll let you take this one first, Rossi, because you have very strong feels about this. I, I have been thinking about it a lot. My first, res- my first response was an unequivocal rejection, that this was a terrible idea. But then I said, no, no, we're not going to just reject the idea. We're going to actually sit and think about this for a while. And I started to think about it. And then, like, my first, re- my first thing is still that even if you – there's a thing about injuring someone that even if you apologize – even if you make restitution, it doesn't erase that you injured them. People don't forget. Like if the you wounds, the wound remains, right? Let, let's we're gonna break this down to a real easy example. If you deliver, if you got really mad at me and punched me in the face and like broke my nose, and then you felt awful and you know you paid for my medical care, I would still remember that you punched me in the face, even if like you know my nose looked great. Nobody could even tell that you broke it. I would still remember that it wouldn't go anywhere. It would just mean that I would like, you know, it's better than you punch me in the face and then you continue to be a jerk. It's better to try and fix our mistakes, but it doesn't erase our mistakes. So I don't think the horde doing that would just be, it would be a redemption arc. You're still the person who did it and that doesn't change. But that being said, the idea of all those elf souls coming back got me thinking that maybe what let's take your idea and get bigger with it. What if everybody came back? What if at the end of this expansion, all those things that have died over the years or a huge chunk of them aren't dead anymore? What would that do? Ooh, that's a How would that question. change world of Warcraft? Imagine if like the horde could bring back like all, you know, every, like every major horde figure who's died over the years, they could, you know, they could bring back Grom. They could bring back, um, you know, or, you know, Orgrim Doomhammer and finally, finally deal with like their, you know, their history. They could actually have all those figures back to answer for what they did to, to, to be part of the horde. What if, you know, you know, you know, he starts getting like really crazy. Imagine if at the end of this, this is something I, people have often forget that I've been postulating this for years. What if Sylvanas Windrunner was brought back to actual life? Yep. I've been saying that for a while now. And had to be, like, a living person dealing with, like, you know, at this point, she's done horrific genocidal things. And now she had to deal with them. And she had to deal with the trauma of what happened to her. And actually deal, deal with it, not just have it happen in festering, but, but you know, deal with it. There, there's a lot. Imagine if, like, you're a Draenei and all your dead Draenei relatives, the ones that died for the Path of Glory, they're alive again. And they've been there. They've been to the land of the dead. And you now know with a certainty what's going to happen when you die. There's just so much that you could, you know, even if you just went with your idea and had the Horde somehow magically bring back all the Night Elves that they killed. Those Night Elves died. Mm -hmm. And they went to hell. You know, effectively, they went to hell. They went to the Maw, which is where, you know, the most horrible evil souls go to be tortured until they're, like, forever. And, And think about what that means about the Maw, by the way. The, the mod, what it does to souls, what it's for. Think back to what we were just talking about with soul engines. There's, there's interesting cosmological implications about the maw that, but, but they were all there and now they're back and they're alive, but they know that that's what happens when you die. 
you know, do they, do they, does someone stop and explain the entirety of cosmology to them? But that's just one place of the Shadowlands, and you weren't supposed to go there. Uh, who knows? But they've had that experience now. And that trauma is going to stay with them, I think. Yeah, they're not going to, that's not going to, think of um, Orpheus when he went down to the land of the dead to get Eurydice back uh, in Greek mythology. He, he failed. Yep. She couldn't come back. I mean, she almost did, but then he turned and he, he couldn't bear it and he turned and looked and then, you know, she was sent back. Um, there's that idea that you, your death changes you. Even if you don't stay dead, your death changes you. You know, even people who've like in, in the world we actually live in, people who've like had near death experiences, it changes them and that they didn't even actually die or at least, you know, they were technically dead for like, like 30 seconds or a minute or two minutes, but then they were resuscitated. That's, that's a huge trauma. Now imagine you actually burn to death and we're in hell for several months to a year or to do, to, I don't know how many, how long it's going to be by the time they get out in, in this scenario. But yeah, that's a, that's a huge ball of trauma and it's, it's children, you know, it's non-combatants, it's people who didn't fight. And now the, the place they were living is gone. So they have to live somewhere else. Even if there's another place for them to live, it's not the same place. And and again, they burn to death. Yeah, I mean, that's a big change to, to their the way that the, these people feel and think and act. But, it, you know, it, again, this is me trying not to just throw your idea out. But I don't think it would fix anything. I, or at least it wouldn't fix things immediately. The Horde might feel good about themselves, but the people that they burn to death would me probably hate them more than the people that had to watch them burn their family members to death. I think you burn me to death... I'm going to feel negatively toward you. Even if you, you say, Oh, I'm really sorry here. You're alive again. I'm still going to have lived through that, you know? Um, even, even with the whole thing where a put them to sleep and, and yeah, I, I want Shadowlands to, to explain to me why a just put them to sleep and didn't just take them off of Teldrassil, you know, Loon, um, what was that? If we're going to have a miracle, couldn't it have been a better miracle? Like the one where we don't all die? I'm just saying. So, yeah, I, I, I feel like there's 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 a big this this expansion has the potential to really upend World of Warcraft in ways that no other expansion ever has, because we're literally breaching the veil between life and death. And that's that's pretty huge. That's a big deal. But I don't think you can just use it to there's no there is no way to put toothpaste back in a tube that's satisfying here. And I think that a lot of players want that. And I understand why they want it. If, if I were like still playing a horde main, I would want to be able to stick that, this whole thing back in a bottle somewhere because it is not a very good feeling to feel like your character is, has taken part in absolutely atrocious acts. I get that. I really do. And I don't blame the players for this. I don't even blame the storytellers because it's still an interesting story to tell. But I do feel I felt from the beginning that that Battle for Azeroth story had a really bad timing problem. And I, I I'm going to use this example from real life, and then I'm going to shut up so Joe can actually talk. Um, the movie Bloodsport Bloodspots coming out this week, and it's an interesting little Vin Diesel superhero movie about a guy whose blood contains nanites, and he he regenerate and not die. And it's 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 a tentpole movie, which means it's, it needs big international numbers to make money. It needs to make as much money as possible. It needs to make about, I'd say, five to six hundred million to be considered viable for sequels and expansions and so forth. And it's releasing during the COVID-19 pandemic mm -hmm. where people don't want to go to movie theaters. 
I think Battle for Azeroth's story about a world on the brink where resources are scarce and both sides are refusing to, to like talk, it, it it's timely. It's extremely timely. Maybe it's a little too timely. And I don't think that the, the I don't think we can just gloss what happened. I think that would be really bad storytelling. And I think just letting the horde go and, and do a Ocean's Eleven, not Ocean's Eleven. Oh my God, Matt, it's a completely different movie. Uh, you know. <laughs> now I forgot. Oh, the, I forgot the movie I was trying to use, but like you know, a big a big heroic mission to go save those people. It, it's a nice thought, but I don't think it would solve anything. Just just because you did one good thing doesn't mean the bad things you did stop being bad. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm, I'm on the same wavelength there. I don't think it would fix the problem. And again, it's because that problem is not just going to go away. It's not erased what happened like those those souls are going to carry those traumatic experiences. They were in a burning city. They were trapped. They couldn't get out. They're going to potentially remember that. Then they were tortured in the maw for however long it takes us to get them out. And they're going to remember that. Now, here's the weird thing. I think this is actually going to happen, but I don't think it's going to be Horde specific. And the reason I've been, I think that this is something that is actually going to happen is for two reasons. One, we're at the end of Battle for Azeroth, and we still haven't dealt with the Vol'jin thing. We have no clue what happened there. We have no idea what his purpose was in coming back. Uh, you know, it's not just to crown Talanji queen of, of all trolls and, and give her that prop up while he did certainly do that. That's not why he was brought back. And even in the questing with him, he says he feels that he was brought back for a higher purpose or something different. And it, he just doesn't know what it is yet. Well, now we know sort of, I want to say metagaming a little bit. We know we're going to the other side and, why are we going to go there? Well, possibly to deal with what Vol'jin, his little story arc and what happened there, and to deal specifically with Buam Samdi and whoever Buam Samdi works for. But I also think that Vol'jin's going to turn around and he's in a unique position where he can start rescuing souls in a way that we can't. He's been sort of laid out that he can move between the realms at this point. He's not dead. He's not alive. He's something different. He's not a Loa. He's something different. He's not, you know, fell touched anymore like he was when he was dying. He's different. He's got a light aura around him, but he's not Didn't a being of a light. They say he's something about like he's been touched by the hand of valor. Yes. Is the exact word they use, which that reminds me of the Kyrians quite a bit. Yep, just a little bit. So what if Vol'jin starts pulling people aside to go rescue the souls that shouldn't have died? I think that's going to be what happens. But I also think that it's going to be an interesting story because then it becomes not just saving these souls, but how in the heck do you deal with this influx of now alive souls or or even if they're not alive, these souls that are brought back to the material plane, the prime material plane, that remember or hold on to all of their trauma, that now have to be cared for, that now have to be you know, taken care of, like how many, how many of these souls have we seen in the past turn into wailing spirits or turn into vengeful spirits or turn into, uh, entities that just have this, I don't want to say anger that has to be released, but it's, it's a little more complicated than that. 
But we've seen that. We've seen that as recently as going into Najatar, where we're sitting there dealing with these these spirits that, you know, they start out nice, but they're going crazy because they've been dealing with their trauma for 10,000 years. What happens to these these children, these these non-combatants that are brought back, you know, in this act that's supposed to be good, but is it actually good? Is it something that turns out to be more insidious than, you know, bringing them to life? Like, it becomes more of a burden, it becomes more of a hurtful thing than finding a way to lay them to rest or get them to a sense of peace. And I think maybe that's where that story goes is, is it better to bring these souls back or is it better to find out where they need to go to be at peace? Yeah, exactly. I think that it would be a better act in the long run to send them to wherever they were supposed to go. But I just, I think in a lot of ways it it keeps coming back to the idea of we're looking at this as a way to basically reset things to status quo. I think we're beyond that and that is exactly what I think. And I think I think there is a lot of potential. One of the things that I think people miss with Battle for Azeroth is that it shook things up. Whether you liked it or not, I didn't like everything it did, but it really changed, for lack of a word, it changed the meta of each organization. Oh, it did. It changed the very nature of the Alliance and the Horde. It made them different. In a way, they've never been different. In a very real way, Going back to try and fix the status quo is a step backward. For, for better or for worse, we're in a new place now. And I think Shadowlands is in a really good position to push us even further into places we've never been, story-wise. Um, imagine if, if all those elves did come back, and now suddenly you've got, like, they might come back, like, I'm not saying physically different, but mentally very different. Mm-hmm. You, could, you could change the night elves in a way that they've never been changed. You could make them something they've never been before. And this would be the start of it. There's just, and there's so many different ways this could work for so many different people. We're going to go and see people that we haven't seen in, in very long time. I, I would be amazed if there's no quest that you, where you meet Anduin Lothar's ghost. Yeah. I would be also very surprised. There's going to be like certain lore figures that we've never actually interacted with because for the entirety of world Warcraft, because they've been dead forever that we're finally going to get to interact with. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't think that just having the horde go and, and, and yoink the, the souls of the dead elves out of the, out of the shadowlands is the way to go with this. But I do think that we might see the, 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 the bounds of death change and figures come back. Um, and I, I, Joe's absolutely correct that Vol'jin is po- one really good possibility for, how that could happen. I don't know if he's the only way through. I don't know if other characters might be involved here, but yeah, I definitely think they've, they've been setting up that Vol'jin's going to have a role in this expansion pretty, pretty effectively. Hope that answers at least some of your question, Meleth. And now we're going to move on to our next one. Hey there, friendlies. I was thinking of the future of Azeroth, you know, like what it would be like in 20 years, 50 years time. And it got me thinking, where are all the kids? Where is the next generation succession? I get that elves live for a really long time and other races will not have a pressing need to reproduce, but even just looking at humans, there are a lot of older existing love stories and relationships, but I can't think of any or many that have happened recently. I'm not uh, not across anywhere near as much lore uh, as you experts, but I can't remember anyone being pregnant or having a child in the last 15 years. Do you think we could get a love story or children in the near future? And this is from Jace One on Frostmourne. I think? mean, Moira had 
Yeah, Moira, Moira is probably the, the prime example of that. He's like five or six now, I think. Like yeah. It's actually to the point where uh, he get, he gets to meet his grandpa and stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, that's probably the most clear example, and I'm sure there's others that'll... Not a clear example because he's made of diamond. Ah, <laughs> uh, goodness. Uh, it's an interesting question, and it's something that I started thinking about after doing the Stormwind Horrific Visions. Because one of the things you see is you're reminded that the orphans are there, that there are children, and and they do exist in all of these wars in running around even Dazar lore. It, you go through and there's there's orphans and troll children and, and everything just running around. So there are definitely children present, but I think you're right that aside from Moira, I don't think it's been made a point that anybody has been sort of pregnant. And I think it's partially to avoid the trope of it all, but also there are some, there are some children that already exist that could potentially be important. Like look, look at Kalia. Kalia is a great example of somebody who was once, was a child of famous folks. It was a, you know, sibling to, to Arthas and now is becoming prominent. You have, uh, why can't I think of her name now? Uh, Goodness, the the alliance uh, attaché, the one that, that helps you guide through stuff. Matt, help me out here. I can't think of her name. Daughter of daughter of uh, Bolvar. Oh, oh God. I want to say Talia, but it's not. It's uh... Talia. What the heck? Talia, Talia. It's Talia. Talia. Yeah. Sorry. Talia Fordra. We 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 keep so many names in our brain that sometimes it gets it gets a little fuzzy up here. But I know Tal- the name until you ask me what it is. Exactly. Uh, but she's another great example. She's a child uh, that is essentially in a role of succession, right? She is very important to what is likely going to happen in the near future, especially with anything involving uh, the, the Lich King, because, well, that we know that that's a thing. So you have these these NPCs. Uh, Arathor is another one, right? Uh, you even see him in the, the Stormwind uh, horrific vision where his mother is basically sacrificing him to Nizoth. But like you have mm-hmm. these, yeah, you absolutely. have, you have these NPC children that they're not kids, but they are children of important folks that are in perfect line for a role of succession. And I think that's where those come in. What do you think? No, I, I definitely, I mean, I do feel like we could do with more, like, I've always felt like they should reveal that Anduin Lothar had a secret daughter and that she comes back and she kicks ass. Um, I've totally wanted that, especially since they've kind of hinted that uh, that Varian's mother was was Lothar's sister. Yes. So I've always thought it would be cool if that effectively she'd be Anduin's cousin and she could she could tweak his nose and call him cousin and give him shit in a way nobody else can. I'd like there to be somebody in the Alliance who didn't have to treat him like the way everyone else has to treat him with deference because he is the king. I mean, even Gen, who himself is a king, kind of still has to treat him with a, a level of kid gloves. I'd like there to be somebody who just come in and go, no, you idiot boy. No, we're not going to do that. That's stupid. I don't care if you're king. And that would be an interesting character to have because that's the way Lothar, in a, in a more friendly way, that's the relationship Lothar had with um, Lane Wren. Or he could be like, no, are you insane? No, we're not doing that. You know, I, I, I liked the dynamic. I don't know how many people have seen the Warcraft movie. And it's not a great movie. I'm not pretending that the Warcraft movie was high art. Although I do think you can't really... Nothing made by, by Duncan can be said to be bad. I, I tend to agree. Loved, 
he loved Warcraft so much and he's so creative. Uh, Duncan Jones is just a really smart guy. And I think the movie he made, it's it's got a lot of love for Warcraft in it. And I loved the relationship between Lothar and Lane in it. Where Lothar will, will it's like ride or die for, for Lane, but at the same time, there is no way I'm not going to give you crap for this. Just so you know, oh, I'll do it, but you're getting the look. You're getting the look so hard. This is crazy, this thing you want. And I'd like to see that relationship brought back. But I, I'd like to see it for a lot of characters. Um, you mentioned Arator. Uh, Ronan has kids. Ronan you know, has Ronan two and kids. Ronan and Varisa had twins. Uh, those twins should be getting of age at this point. We have yet to see them in WoW. Right. And keep in mind, it's been like, how long has it been since since uh, Ronan died? It has to be close to eight years. Yeah, so we're, game. They, they could, you know, they'd still be young by elf standards, but they're not fully elves. And yeah, we could, you know, we've seen Arator. Why not see his cousins? Not and it's really, it's really fascinating too. Is that Arator and his cousins are all half elves? There's a lot of half elves in the Windrunner family. Yep. Uh, there, w- there would have been more had not Sylvanas and her boyfriend died, but you know, take what you get. Um, so yeah, it's that's something I would find really interesting to see. Thrall, Thrall uh, and Agra have kids. Yeah, and at this point, at least one of them should be at least six or seven. Uh, I don't know how old the other one is. Like we we haven't even seen her. We just she's been hinted around. I think she, they directly referenced her once, didn't they? Yes. That he has a daughter. Yeah, they've they've definitely they've definitely directly referenced that he has a son and a daughter. But yeah, I mean, it would be cool to bring more of them in. I would like to see that. I I wouldn't mind seeing a love story. The problem I have is that, as much as I like Talia, I do like Talia. I feel like they introduced her to practically throw her and Anduin together. Yeah, I get that feeling too. And to a certain degree, I am actually one of those people who is much more. I don't. I'll, I'll flat out say this. I don't care who Anduin ends up with. This is not an important thing to me. But I do find the idea of actually pursuing the Rathion angle, actually having the courage to do what Overwatch has been doing for years now, and just let that happen, I would think it would be cool. Um, Maybe Anduin is not a character that I find tremendously compelling in his current state, but I definitely think you could make him more interesting by giving him real human issues to deal with, and that would certainly be one of them. I agree. Um, but, but for that matter, uh, I feel like the, the Gilnean royal family has been just sitting there. And I'm not... Uh, that's I'm another not saying, That's another kid right there. Yeah, I'm, I'm not saying make Tess date Anduin. That is not what I'm saying. But make Tess do things. Yep. Let her... You know, one of the things that they, they hinted at was that Tess wanted to be made a worgen. No, they didn't hint at it. There's a whole thing about it. Yeah, but they didn't... My point is that they... they that's the hint is that they put a whole thing out there, but they, they hinted that they might do it. And, and imagine a storyline where Tess willingly gets the curse. Like she'd have, and, and the thing is, is that there's a whole bunch of Worgen and like, you know, Gen has basically spread the word out. Nobody, nobody bites my daughter. Nobody gives the curse to her. I don't care what she says. You don't do this. So she wants the curse and none of them will give it to her. What if she and Lorna Crowley teamed up? And there's another one, by the way, Lorna Crowley. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the two of them, went and freed the original druids of the scythe. Well, cuz they're already they're already doing stuff at Darkshore, right? Like they're already yeah. fighting alongside each other. Imagine if they went out and got the original druids of the scythe and brought them back. And now you've got Night Elf Worgen, which by the way new allied race for you, Blizzard. You're you're welcome. Also, I've been, yeah. I want the Night Elf Worgen thing so bad. I do too. Well, they they, they sort of and I'm, now I'm thinking about uh Tess Greymane now. 
and if I remember correctly, and, and you're going to have to keep me honest on this one because I've only done this once, isn't there a whole thing where Tess goes, she, the whole thing, she wants to become a worgen, but uh, I think it's like Vassandra Stormclaw. There was a, a druid, a night elf druid, uh, that calls upon Goldrin uh, in Duskwood to give Tess the experience without actually becoming one. And so, like, if we go back, how did Worgen really start in the first place? They were trying to become form of the pack under Goldrin, under under that whole thing, right? So now Tess sort of has that door open for her already because, well, she's sort of been shown from a, a, a literal night elf druid with the aspect, with, with Goldrin, showing her what it's like. So mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, she, that did she, happen. She she doesn't even have to be bitten at this point. Lorna doesn't have to bite her. Goldrin could just bestow a blessing upon her. Well, no, Lorna doesn't have it either. That's the thing. Lorna. There's a reason I mentioned Lorna. Lorna also is is the non is the, the non cursed child of a worgen. In fact, that's why when you do the uh, the forsaken zone in Cataclysm, the 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 re- redone uh, Silverpine, that's how Sylvanas gets uh, Crowley to back off. She threatens to kill. Oh, that's to, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. His daughter and his daughter, since she's not Worgen, would be raisable. She could make her a Forsaken. That's why he was like, "All right, I'll back off." So, and Lorna, Lorna and Tess are the ones who go to Darkshore together. Lorna and Tess have been doing a lot of stuff together. That's awesome. I love that Lorna and Tess are basically bros, um, or more. And that would be fine if you want a relationship. That's cool. I, I would be totally on that one. But there's this whole thing. This, you know, the Tess is the one who said, you know, some atrocities cannot go unanswered. And that's, she wants to become a worgen so she can, you know, basically she's kind of a mirror of Kalia in that both wanted to understand what their people were going through. And so I, I don't know that they're going to let Tess become a forsake, become a worgen. I think they did that whole vision quest so she doesn't get to be one. But I also like the idea of her essentially being a subtlety rogue that just magically happens to look like uh, a demon hunter from Diablo 3. Oh, yeah, there is that. (laughs) I do think, though, there are a lot of characters that I would like to see come more to the forefront. But there are more of them than you think. I think the the thing is is that the past 15 years has been kind of tense and we've lost a lot of characters. And sometimes that gives you the feeling that new stuff isn't happening. You're just but losing things. But there have been, I think we just sat here and came up with a whole bunch and we could come up with more. Um, I think, I think the one thing I will say really about that cool is character Madon. I don't yep. know if you know about him. No, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding about Madon. But I was going to say like the, the one thing I will say is uh, if you want to talk about uh, horde or Alliance bias, I think the Alliance have more successor children than the horde do. Um, I would, I like to see more on the horde side to sort of start ramping up to that absolutely um, well, I mean, but there's yeah, a ton you, there's a ton of potential the, here the problem with the, the horde ones is that for instance they're all kind of in charge now sort like, of yeah bane, like bane. bane is now in charge um rokan has moved up to the the driver's seat because vulgin didn't get to have a family and didn't get to have children to secede him i mean you know there's 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 that problem um in a lot of cases you we mentioned hordes like thralls kids but those are the only ones that really got to be around. We haven't seen many of the other families, the other Horde characters, 
Like, you know, there's no Rexar. Rexar doesn't have a little brood of Rexlings out there somewhere, which quite frankly, I would love it if that's, we don't understand it, but that's what Misha is bothering about every time they're walking together now. <laughs> you know, you're getting older. Stop it. Are you my mother now, Misha? Yeah, apparently I have to be since you're just, you know, there's, what about that, that nice Krenna girl? She's, she's got her own thing. I, 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 I'm not looking for that right now. Oh, you're not getting any younger, you know. So <laughs> why is why is he what is the bear saying to him? I don't think we want to know. I don't think I don't think we want to know this. <laughs> but I mean, you know, who knows? Soon there there might be like a nice half nightborn, half blood elf kid running around between Suramar and Quelthalos. Yep. And uh, we've... If, if if she has anything to say about it, she seems pretty pretty into that idea. Yeah, I was going to um, say that that's another that's another romantic thing that's just starting to spin up at the end of Battle for Azeroth. First Arcanist and uh, Lothamar are definitely getting a lot closer, and they're definitely they're definitely implying that there's way more there than just working relationship. They could have a kid. Yeah. He's he's doing the pulling on his collar Fenris thing. For, uh, the best part is that it's the same voice actor from as Fenris in, in Dragon Age Two. <laughs> so when he's like, "Oh, I, I have things to do," uh, he's like pulling on his collar type thing, and she's like, "Oh no, I'm sure you have plenty of time." So yeah, I I, I would like to see more of it, sure, but. The problem with World of Warcraft is it is the game that it is. And, you know, we don't get called in. We don't, no one calls our characters when it's just, you know, business as usual. We get called in with, oh, well, by the way, the sky's open and, and death is like, you know, death now seeps into the land. Great. I, I was going to take a few minutes off after the last giant crisis. You guys voiced it off on me, but sure, no, I'll, I'll head up to Earthrend. Of course. Why wouldn't I? Can't get anyone else to do it. Uh, your character's never going to have kids. That's for dang sure. Oh, goodness. Well, I think that's going to take us up to our time, so I'm going to do our little outro, and then I'm going to do something different with our final thoughts today. Uh, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. Your continued support means this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. So for today's final thought, I'm actually going to use a question that we received from Gravar, a shaman on a bronze dragonflight in the EU. Uh, hi, Matt and Joe. With Shadowlands fast approaching... Which is which of the new zones and its potential lore interests you the most, and why? For me, it's Maldraxxus. Finding out how the architecture and everything else ties in with the undead of Azeroth is very intriguing. Love the show. Keep up the good work. First of all, thank you very much, Gravar, and thank you for your continued support. But I think that's a really interesting question. Moving into Shadowlands, what, what zone, what potential lore interests you the most, Matt? Either Bastion or Ardenweald. And it kind of varies on the day. I got to see Bastion when I was at Blizzard, BlizzCon last year. So I'm interested in seeing more about it and figuring out how it ties in, how the Kyrian relate to like the Valkyr and the Spirit Healers and all that. Um, that's pretty cool. and I'd like to see more about that. But Ardenweald, it's a continuation of the Night Elf story, and I'm extremely interested in how that goes down. So, yeah, um, it's kind of a toss-up for me. I think for me it's... It, absolutely Ardenweld, uh, not just because of, of the Night Elf story, which I definitely want to know more of, but also because of how Ardenweld sort of ties in with a lot of other pieces, potentially, such as the Loas, where they go. We know that Ardenweld is where the ancients went when they died to sort of wait to be reborn again. 
What if that's where these super powerful Loa go as well? Because we know that they are in some capacity on par with the ancients, at least the, the major Loa, right? Um, I also think it ties in potentially to shamanism as well, not just druidism. And I think that's going to be one of the more interesting things for me because there's such this potential of calling on your ancestors and calling on the different elemental spirits. Well, Ardenwald is sort of the blooming of all of those sort of elements rolled into one. It's all five elements brought to, to bear, essentially, from the descriptions that we've been given so far. So the idea of having a shaman go in there and learn more about uh, shamanic tradition and learn more about the spirits and the ancestors and how the elements play into the giving and maintaining of life is sort of really intriguing to me. And it bridges a gap of something that I've been sort of curious about for potentially years. When Warcraft first came out way, way long ago, I started on this thread in my brain of what would happen if a druid and a shaman combined their their powers essentially into one class. And it was, to me, what is essentially this... It was a homebrew thing from back when the tabletop was around, and it was sort of like this idea of a storm caller. It's somebody who can call upon the elements and call upon nature to intertwine into uh, itself to sort of create the self-feeding cycles of power, rebirth, and, and energy. And I would love to see if Ardenweld is maybe that birth of that concept, right? Where maybe this is where everything comes crashing together, where the Loas, the spirits of the ancients, the the spirits of, of all of the elementals and, and the spirits of basically nature itself all coalesce into one ecosystem. So for me, that potential right there has me the absolute most excited. I might finally get this thing that I've been asking for for 15 years. So with that, I think we will call it an end. I want to thank everybody for your continued support, and we will see you again next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.